Good evening, Chi Alpha. Y'all out there? All right. Now look, don't, don't y'all go get quiet on me, okay? Because I heard all the talking and chattering while you guys were doing the meet and greet and everything. And so just treat me like one of your friends, okay? Good deal? Good deal? All right. Well, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I've been in ministry for 30 years, mostly working with students. Uh, transitioned about a year and a half ago. Now I'm a coach and I'm a consultant. I help churches all over the country. And one of my passions that has never, ever gone away is my passion for students. And so I'm thrilled to be here with you tonight. And I'm thrilled to share the message because I think that the question based on, when did IHOP become like study hall at 9 o'clock in the morning? I'm sitting at IHOP at 9 o'clock in the morning and then like 15 students come in. And I, I'm guessing they're Angelo State students. Is there another college in town? Oh, okay. Well, maybe, maybe they're from there. But they started talking. And look, I, I was studying for, for this message, okay? I wasn't meaning to eavesdrop, all right? But when every other word out of this young lady's mouth is the F-bomb, Okay, and just talking about life and how her life is so bad and what she wants about life and how life is sort of going for her. And all of her friends are beginning to chime in about how messed up their life is. I thought, well, I wonder if this is a common thing. Now, I'll be honest with you. I already kind of know that it's a common thing. Because how many of you have ever thought, man, I just want to live the good life? Anybody ever said that? I want the good life, all right? Keith asked me, you know, how I was doing the other day when I first got here. How you doing, Dennis? Living the dream, baby, living the dream, okay? We want to live the good life. But what does the good life look like? Can you define the good life? Have you ever thought about what the good life really looks like? Now, one of the things that I would tell you about the relationship series that Heath is going to have for you guys, this is an important series because what we're going to talk about tonight is we're going to talk about four things that make up the good life, and they're probably not things that you think. And so tonight what I want to do is I want to ask you a question. Heath, can I have that microphone? Where's that microphone at? I'm going to... I want to ask you, now I saw, I saw people raise their hand, man, I want to live the good life, right? What's the good life look like to you? I think you raised your hand. <laughs> See, this is the danger of sitting up front, right? And don't worry, I'm coming back because I'm an equal opportunity offender, okay? So, um, so just, just kind of tell me, there's no right or wrong answer here. Just kind of tell me what the good life looks like to you. Um, affecting a lot of people in a positive way. Okay, awesome answer. All right, I like that. Um, um, some of you guys are starting to look down at the ground. Please don't look at me. Too bad. I'm coming your way. All right. Uh, yeah, right here with the, with, yeah. No, no. You're, you're the one. Here you go. What's the good life look like to you? Let's see. Happy wife, happy life? I don't know. (laughs) Somebody give that young man the gold star because I don't know if he's married or not, but he's on the right track. 
right? All right. You got one? All right, let's hear it. Got the USA representing there. All right, here we go. If you live in Texas, it's Whataburger. Do what? Whataburger. Whataburger, okay. Set our sights high right there. Okay, who else? I need two more people. What's the good life? What is the good life? Coming over to this section right here because I don't want you guys to feel like you're not a part of what we're doing. So what's the good life? Uh, not having to worry about student loans. Not having, look, look, this goes both ways. As a parent of two children who just recently graduated, one from SMU, the other from DBU, let me tell you, okay? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, you know? <laughs> Pray for me. You look like you were the last one in. <laughs> What's the good life? Having friends. Having friends. Awesome. Okay. Here you go, Keith. I'm done with the microphone for now. What if I told you? Now, part of what I do, guys, is I coach people. And I'm going to give you about $15,000 tonight worth of information that if you'll apply to your life, it'll make a difference. Okay. So let's monetize this, all right? I'm going to give you four spiritual ideas that I want you to sort of embrace into your life so that you can begin to quantify what the good life is. Now, here's the big question. Does Jesus want you to even have a good life? That's a big question, isn't it? And I would say decidedly yes. See, when it comes to the... When it comes to defining what the good life is, there's people with all kinds of different ideas. Let me give you some, I was telling Landon this, these are are coaching, these are people who are soliciting my coaching um, practice, and these are things that they want me to help them with, okay? Number one, find my person in life, my purpose in life, what I'm here for, and then start doing it. That's that's good, I I think I can help that guy. Be happier and satisfied. I don't know if I can help him. I don't know if I can help you be happy, to be honest with you. Find a career path that I can enjoy and get paid a comfortable living doing what I like that is low stress. How many would like that job? I want to figure out my mission in life, what my meaning is, what my powerful why is, and how I can figure out what my purpose in life is. Okay, maybe I can help you. I want to be happy. I want to be in a place where I belong. I want to be happy with the work that I do. I want a sense of purpose and meaning, and I want to be extremely wealthy. All right? Could it be, though, that having all of those things doesn't necessarily lead to a good life? Is it possible to have all the money that you need, all the success that you need, and be miserable? I think that it is. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, the thief does not come but to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said that I have come that you might have life. And that word life is the word zoe. It means the fullness of life. He said that you might have that life and have it abundantly. Now, that word at the very end of that verse, abundantly, is what Jesus 
I think, would say to you today is the good life. And I think that the good life is something that we ought to strive for. But I think that because of the world that we live in and some of the things that are present in the world, I think that we go about seeking the good life in the wrong manner. And because we choose the wrong things that we think are going to lead us to the good life, I think that there are going to be times where you're going to find out that that road really leads to futility, unhappiness, and ultimately emptiness. Now, tonight, I am going to, I'm going to talk a little bit about this device, all right? Now, I'm, if anybody knows me, I'm an iPhone guy. I'm a day one iPhone. I stood in line. I got up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I stood in line outside of an Apple store in Dallas, Texas, for seven and a half hours to get this first device, all right? And I did the same thing up until iPhone 5. And then I said, I'm done. There's something more important than an iPhone. It's called sleep. (laughs) All right? So what is a good life? Tonight I want to give you four things. And if I could, if I could sit down with each one of you, like those 12 people at IHOP this morning and just have a face-to-face with you. And if I could tell you some things that I've learned in 30 years of ministry, nearly 60 years of life, I know that I don't look... Don't I look incredibly cool for how old I am? Somebody say amen. Amen. Okay, thank you. Just affirm me just a little bit. Um, If I could sit down and talk to you and say to you, I don't want you to settle in your life. That I don't want to have you look back and regret that you substituted brass for gold. In the Old Testament, when Israel was returning from Babylon... There were two distinct groups of people. There were those who saw the temple and what it was. And then they saw the temple for what it is. And those who never saw the former temple. Those who never saw the former temple. Weeped with joy. But those who beheld the splendor of the former temple. Cried in sorrow. Because the splendor of the new temple paled in comparison to the splendor of the former temple. Temple. Now I say this to you to say this, that for some of you, maybe many of you, you've been taught certain things. You've seen certain things. You've observed certain things. And everybody has told you that that's gold. And it's not. It's brass, especially in the area of relationships, which Heath is going to talk in depth with you about, and I'm not going to talk a whole lot about that tonight, but I will say this, that we live in a time where the emotional intelligence of people is at an all-time low. And if you're going to live the good life, there are four things that you're going to have to possess that nobody can get it for you because it's an inside job. 
This is something that God is going to have to work in you. And you're going to have to be open enough, willing enough, obedient enough to say yes to God. So the premise of what we're going to talk about tonight, these four things, I'm going to go with an assumption. And the assumption is, number one, that all of you want the good life. And that number two, you're willing to follow God so that he can lead you there. So tonight, let's start with point number one. If you're going to live the good life, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to live a life that is filled with purpose. If I hear one thing over and over and over from the, uh, the, the recent college graduates, those who are uh, maybe just into their career, they're starting a family, there's this one thing that I hear over and over and over about their work. They want their work to have meaning. Nobody wants a meaningless job. But Jesus wants you to have something more than a meaningful job. He wants you to have a meaningful life. And so your vocation does not describe the totality of who you are, nor should it. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Do you know that before the foundations of the earth were even formed, God knew you? That you've been on the mind of God for thousands and thousands and thousands of years? And I'm not wise enough or smart enough to know how old God is, but the Bible says that he's without beginning and without end. So at some point in that continuum, God was thinking about you. And when God was thinking about you, you know what he was also thinking about? He was thinking about your life. Now there's some of you right now, you're thinking, well, I hope this isn't what God planned for my life because it's not working out real well. Well, I will say this, that God has a way of redeeming things, and God has a way of making things straight, and no matter where you started, I want you to know that the chapter of this book in your life is just that. It's not, it's just a chapter. It's not the finish line. It's not the end, right? On Friday, when Jesus died on the cross, the story was not finished. When the devil was running the victory lap, the story wasn't finished. And the story of your life is not finished either. But how awesome would it be if you could find purpose? And I wish that somebody would have told me at 17, 18, 19, 20 that God had a plan and a purpose for my life because it would have saved me years. And one of the biggest regrets of my life was not asking the question to the right person. What should I do? What should I do with my life? That's a huge question. See, the two best days of your life are the days that you were born and the day you figure out why. 
See, if you never figure out your purpose, there's always going to be this low-level tension, this, this anxiety about your life, wondering whether or not you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And you're constantly asking your, the meta-narrative question of your life, why am I here? So we've got to get down to this thing of purpose. And I will tell you, when you figure out your purpose, it is a game-changer for your life. You will not give your time to the nonsensical, meaningless things that you do. And you will be about the mission. And I'm not saying that you can't have fun. And I'm not saying that it won't be enjoyable. Because I'm telling you, the greatest ride of my life has been the 35 years that I've been walking with God seriously. How many of you ever read Dr. Seuss' book, The Places You Go? I can't tell, I mean... I could tell you everywhere that God has taken me in this world, but God has taken me literally all over the world. And you know what? He's blessed me so that I can take students with me. Whether it's in the Middle East, the Far East, whether it's South America, Central America, whether it's Europe, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, Africa. I've been all over the world. The only continent that I really haven't been to is is, uh, Australia don't really care to go to Antarctica. I'm going to leave that out. It's probably where God's sending me next, Heath. Right? And isn't that our fear? That if we fully commit to the purpose of God, that he's going to give us an assignment that scares the heck out of us, or we feel that we're not qualified for, or we feel like we don't like, When I was in Bible school, this is what I told my best friend, my wife, and anybody who would listen to me. There are two things that I don't want to do when I graduate from Bible school. Number one, youth ministry. Number two, young adult ministry. Hi, guys. And guess what I've been doing for 35 years? Youth ministry. Young adult ministry. My first job, my my first position, I was a junior high pastor and the young adults pastor. But you know what? God led me into something that I didn't know I loved. And this is part of the great journey with God is that he knows things about you that you don't. He knows loves that you have that you don't. And the cool thing about God is that he will lead you because he has plans, not plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Have you, under, have you ever been in a class and you're wondering why am I learning this? Have you ever thought, have you ever thought, well, what difference does this make in life? Will I ever use what I'm learning Outside of this classroom. I don't know. But I do know this. That there is a purpose. There is a purpose. That God has for you. And unless you discover it. You'll never be motivated. To learn it. And do it. So your purpose is huge. Second thing. If you're going to live the good life. You've got to figure out your identity. 
Now, I'm not talking about your name or your social security number. I'm talking about who you are. I know who I am. I'm put on this earth to impact future generations, to be a light in this world, to lead well, and to rock the universe. That's why I'm here. That's why my wife is here. We share the same vision. See, in John chapter 1, the Pharisees came to John the Baptist. And he said, who are you? And people are going to ask you all, all the time who you are. But it's not going to sound like that. It's going to sound like this. Hey, you want to go get a drink? It's going to sound like this. Hey, let's go hook up. It's going to sound like this. Hey, school's not that important. And time after time after time after time, people are going to ask you, who are you? And you have to have an answer like John had an answer. Who are you? Tell us so that we can give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say? Listen, what do you say about yourself? The most important conversations that you will ever have are not the conversations that you have with your friends. It's not the conversations that you'll have with your parents. The most important conversations that you will ever have are the conversations that you have with God and the conversations that you have with you. Am I the only one here who talks to himself? Dude, I am talking to myself all the time. Dude, how can you be so stupid? Anybody ever said that? All the time, okay? I know, I mean, I, I'm dressed. I look like I'm pretty smart, but I'm dumb. I am really dumb. What do you say about yourself? And John said, I am the voice of one shouting in the wilderness, make straight the ways of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet has said. Now, what that really says, and if, if you break it down in the Greek, is, I am the one of whom it was written. John found himself in the scripture. One day he's reading Isaiah and boom, that verse jumped off the pages and it leapt into his heart. And he goes, that's me. Now, can you imagine somebody going, John, who are you? And he holds up the scripture and he goes, right here, that's me. But John wasn't afraid. John wasn't ashamed. John said, God, I'm going to be your man. And I'm going to be the one that you called me to be. That guy right there. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Students, here's what I know about you. Is that God... Just like he called John and identified him in Scripture, John has identified you in Scripture. I didn't know. I was just a computer programmer before I got into ministry. And I'm reading John chapter, or I'm reading Jeremiah chapter 3. And it says, and I will give you pastors after my own heart. And it was like somebody lit a firecracker in my head. And that verse just jumped out. And listen, I got into computers because I didn't like people. That's what I thought. 
but I love people. I love you. And I want you to have everything that God has for you. But if you don't settle your identity, you are going to be a cheap version of what somebody else wants you to be. And there will always be the best way that I can put it to you is in between my freshman and sophomore year in college, I dislocated my hip. There's nothing more painful than a dislocated joint. It's worse than a break. Now, I don't know about, you know, I don't know about having a baby, but they say it's painful, so I'm, okay, maybe, maybe having a baby is more painful. I don't know, okay? But this was the most painful thing that I ever went through. And not knowing your identity is a painful experience for you. But there comes a time when you get used to the pain And you just accept it. Students, don't settle for this. Don't let somebody else define for you what the image of God is supposed to be in you. See, there are some of you, you're type A. You are driven. You're a go-getter. You're the one who's got their papers in, you know, a week early to the chagrin of all the other students. And man, you're going, 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 going. And you're succeeding, succeeding, succeeding. But sometimes we do that at a cost and a price that's not worth it. And so you have to... Well, let me ask you this. Are you okay being a just an A student, because, you know, there's an A student, then there's an A student, and there's like the uber A student, right? Are you just okay being an A student? I was talking to a kid one time at at lunch, and and she told me, you know, she was all, all sad and depressed, and I said, what's the matter? She said, I got a 94 on my chemistry test. Can I tell you that I never sniffed a 94 on my chemistry grades. <laughs> I was like, I was, I was like, you know, calm down. It's going to be okay. Life's, life's going to be all right. Okay. Don't jump off the, the, the roof or anything. She goes, jump off the roof. I'm not going to jump off the roof. My mom's going to push me off the roof. <laughs> and some of you may have moms like that. But listen, be you. The real you. If I could do anything, girls, listen to me. If I could do anything for you tonight, guys, listen to me. If I could do anything for you tonight, I would pour courage into your heart so that you could be the person that God wants you to be. Instead of being the person that's holding their tongue when there's Maybe something that God wants you to say to somebody or in a meeting or even in the classroom. Do you have the courage? I pray that God gives you that courage. You know, one of the things, one of the reasons why I believe that divorce is so rampant and why it's becoming more rampant is because 
You can only put on a facade for so long. And in the Facebook generation, there's sort of this brand marketing thing that people are doing with their lives. So there's this version of people, of you, that people see that's really, really different from who you really are. And when people figure out that the person that I thought I was marrying and the person that I did marry are two different people, sometimes that's a bridge too far for them. So know your identity. Know who it is that you are to be and who God says that you are. Now, we're going to have to, we're gonna have to kick the tires here and light the fire because we've got to go. All right. Number three, third thing is you got to find your place of service. Strike your life by service. Your life should be embodied. See, there's two kinds of people in the world. There's consumers and there are contributors, and you got to decide which one you are. And if you want the richest life, if you want the fullest life, if you want the good life, you are going to find that the only way that we have the good life is when we give our own life away. That was better than you all made out. Giving and taking is a symbiotic relationship. There comes a place where you can't receive anymore if you're not giving out more. Some of you are looking at me, I don't know, that's true, Pastor Dennis. Yeah, it is. All right, let's do a little little game. All right? I want everybody to follow all of my directions right now. All right? If you don't, you'll get hurt. I want you to take the deepest breath that you possibly can. Hold that breath until I tell you to let it go. All right, ready? One, two, three, breathe in. All right? No, 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 don't exhale. I didn't say exhale. I want you to take the deepest breath you can now. Some of you are not following directions here. I did not say exhale. Did you hear me say exhale? Did, any, did I say exhale? I said don't exhale. All right. How many, thank you, back there. How many of you on the second breath, it was markedly decreased from the first breath that you drew in? How many of you say yes? Now, if you were able to do that three or four times, it would have got down to this. It would have gone. <laughs> right? In life, you're going to be a contributor or you're going to be a consumer. You need to be both. And you need to give as much as you take. You need to serve as much as you are served. See, if you, don't, if you don't give out as much as you take in, there's going to come a time where you look at Pastor Heath and you're going to go, you know, Pastor Heath, I, I think I'm not going to go, go to Chi Alpha anymore. I don't think I'm going to go to San Angelo for assembly anymore. You know why? Because I'm just not really getting that much out of your, your preaching anymore. That's not Pastor Heath's fault. 
So whose fault is it? Who? Our own. Yeah. Everybody say it. It's my fault. Go ahead, say it. Didn't that feel good? Kind of cathartic? Yeah, yeah, it's my fault. I say that all the time because you know what? It is. I am my own worst enemy. I can't get out of my own way. The biggest hindrance to Dennis's life is Dennis not doing the things that he should be doing. Not giving as much as he should. And taking more than he should. Take one cookie. How many of you take two? Okay, three. All right. Time for true confessions here. Hope you feel better. Now, ministry means to serve. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Jesus, or Paul said this. He said, we are, uh, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto, uh, unto good works, which God has ordained that we should walk in them. God created you to give and to serve and to help. Now, if you can't, if I, I'm going to ask you a question. If you can't have an answer in five seconds, you need to get involved doing something. What have you done to help somebody today? Uh, what, that guy cut in front of me in line? Um, what have you done today? A purposeful step towards service will make you, ready for this? Happy. significant, meaningful. And aren't those really the things that we want in a world of social currency where our, our success is measured by likes and emojis? Come on. That's empty. But when I get to help somebody and I really pour something into their life or to help them through a hard time or give them resources that they don't have and it changes their circumstances. Man, I go to bed at night with the softest pillow imaginable. Knowing that I did well when I had the opportunity to do well. So you got to find your service. And then finally, it's a life that's rich in relationships. Did you know that, did you know that God, did you know that God said, let us make man in our image? You know that he said that? You read Genesis, right? It's for, you know, it's the first few days of, you know, reading your Bible app and, you know, the Bible plan and. Hopefully you're not like me. I'm like eight days behind already. And so, you know, pray for me. Uh, But it says, God made man in his own image. Why did he do that? Because he wants a relationship with you. And then you know what he did? He looked down at Adam and you know what he said? That dude needs help. Let's do something. And he created Eve because it was not good for man to be what? Alone. And in this society where technology has supposedly made us more connected, 
the desperation that we feel because of our isolation, hiding behind these screens, has increased. Depression has increased since 2007 when the iPhone was first introduced. It, suicide rates are rising. They're at a 30-year high right now. Because I can say anything that I want to anybody I want and to everybody on a screen but not have a connection with them. And we were made for connection. Now, I'm, a, I'm an ex-youth pastor, right? So one of my, the favorite titles of any sermon that I ever wrote was this. Why sex is better than killing a cow. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, that's pretty weird. See, this is why it's so important. This is why it's so important to save yourself for marriage. Because the act of sex is not an act of lust. It's not even an act of love. It is the ultimate act of commitment. This is the way that a man and a woman seal the covenant of marriage. And it's why when somebody has sex with another person, that all of their emotions, all of their feelings, all of their thoughts want to treat that person as their husband or wife. Why? Because that's the way God wired you. We're wired for relationships, face-to-face -face relationships. They did a study of sixth graders. Okay, now think about this. We're talking about sixth graders, and we know how emotionally intelligent they are. Hey, mom, watch it. You know, sticks a frog in her face, right? They said that the emotional intelligence of a sixth grader after a week-long camp where they were required to go screenless, improved 60%. I think we could all use some more emotional intelligence, don't you? How could that person say that to me? How could that person do that to me? So they lack some emotional intelligence. Okay? Now, girls, let me just help you out here. All right? Guys are behind the curve. And they always will be. All right? Just, okay? So just... Write it down, okay? They're behind. But here's what I do know. You know the other three things that I talked about? Purpose, serving, right? But none of it makes a difference if you don't get the relationship thing right. A relationship with God first, a relationship with others. And look, you can't get it out of order. This one's got to be right first. Because if you don't get first things right, second, third, and fourth things will never really be right. So you've got to get your relationship with God squared away. And so we're kicking off the new year, and we're kicking off a new semester, and so what I want to do is, I want to tell you that the good life is right there. It's right before you. You can have it. If you do those four things, I can tell you those four things 
are, are huge in my life. And because they're huge in my life, I can tell you that regardless of how much money I make or don't make, regardless of whether my car's got a flat tire or four flat tires or whatever, I'm living the good life. Because all that other stuff is just white noise. It's superfluous to me and it doesn't make a difference to the things that really matter. So let's circle all the way back around. I asked you in the beginning, what's the good life look like to you? What's it look like to you? If you could have your best life now, Joel Osteen, what would it look like? And where does God fit into that equation? Because I will tell you at 25 years old, Dennis was on a highway to dead quickly. But when God came into my life and when he came into my heart, everything changed. Let me tell you a quick story and then we'll wrap up. There was a young lady in my youth group. Her name was Stephanie. She was in between the, sum, the summer of her junior and senior year. Stephanie is third in her class. She's got a 4.31 grade point average, and I didn't even know you could have more than a 4.0. That's how much I knew about stuff. She came up to me one Sunday morning, and she said, Dennis, just want you to know that I'm going to try and come to church as much as I can, but I've got to be valedictorian. Got to be. I said, why? Isn't 4.31 good enough? Nope. There are some of you that you've got to be one. There's nothing wrong with being one. I didn't see Stephanie again for eight months. Guess what? Neither did her friends. And the pressure of being number one because she thought that being number one would solidify her identity. It would give meaning to the schoolwork. It would help define the purpose for this young lady. Next time I saw her, Stephanie weighed 76 pounds. And at five foot four inches tall, 76 pounds is not good. She was anorexic and really very close to dying. came into her hospital room and she began to tell me about her year what it looked like she expressed the regret of walking away from her friends and the hurt that it caused not only her but the hurt that it caused them she talked about the fact that even though she was valedictorian there was an emptiness to it because there was nobody there to share it with. 
finally she said, and Pastor Dennis, somewhere along this journey, I forgot that God was supposed to be part of the equation. And I prayed for that young lady that day. She didn't live. She wanted to be somebody different. And who God created this beautiful young lady to be. There is a label. There's a label. There's a label. That many of you are wearing in your hearts. Maybe nobody else sees. This is what Stephanie told me the last time I talked to her. She said, Pastor Dennis, just not enough. So what do you mean? I'm not pretty enough. Not smart enough. Not good enough. It's not enough. Students, if you'll allow yourself to walk down that dark path of trying to figure out what the good life is on your own, it's a path that does not lead to life. So today, what I want to do is I want to ask you to do something really courageous. And that is to say, God, I want to throw off the labels. And I want to throw off the mindsets of what I think the good life is, what others say it is. And I want the good life that you have for me.